0: Hi, Sharp OSHart here. Like me, you obviously listen to podcasts. You're learning, and that's a good thing. But are you also earning Ashes CEUs as you listen? Newsflash, SpeechTherapyPD.com is offering a new discounted annual podcast subscription, and you need to take advantage of it. SpeechTherapyPD.com is the leader in speech language pathology podcasts. They produce over 16 new podcasts with great topics including ethics every month. Listen to Speech Uncensored, First Bite SLP Now, as well as the Speech Link. Here's what you do. Go to SpeechTherapyPD.com, access the podcast subscription, and at checkout, enter my special discount code to get a full $20 off. Instead of $79 per year, you pay just 59 and listen to as many as you want. Here's the code. Are you ready? Speech20. Speech20. That's it. Choose from over 175 hours of on-demand pod courses and get practical information and your CEUs. It's absolutely a no-brainer. Welcome to the Speech Link. I'm your host, Sharp Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. I have a question for you. As a school SLP, have you ever wondered if what you're doing with your therapy kids in Pullout is leaping across the great divide and actually transferring and impacting the child's knowledge and performance in the classroom and beyond? If you have, You're not alone. I too have asked myself that question. Maybe you even thought that it might be helpful to collaborate with the teachers more, or even go into the classroom and co teach. But how in the world do you do that? And that right there is a crucial question from the SLP's perspective as well as the classroom teacher's perspective. Well, stay with me. We'll learn insights about that very question. Grab your pen and a big pad of paper. Here we go. Today, my guest is Susan Fitzell. She's been in the classroom teaching since 1980, but over the past 20 years, she has instructed and consulted in classrooms throughout the United States, working hand-in-hand with teachers, specialists, and speech-language pathologists to guide and support them in making positive differences for kids. She's written a dozen books for teachers, parents, and students, and is one of only 650 certified speaking professionals in the world today. That's very cool. Her latest book, Best Practices in Co-Teaching and Collaboration, and by the way, there are 11 five-star reviews on Amazon, okay? Very, very well-received. And her book includes an excellent chapter that highlights how SLPs can be more effective in the inclusive classroom. And I think she's going to tell us how we can access a free copy of that chapter. Personally, Susan describes her family as a proud family of geeks. She has two adult children, one with central auditory processing disorder, CAPD, and severe dyslexia. Both have earned degrees, however, in mechanical engineering, using the strategies that she's going to share with us today and she credits a speech language pathologist with saving her son from years of an incorrect diagnosis by suggesting they seek the services of an ENT who specialized in CAPD very nice impressively she is a black belt in kickboxing and a student of kung fu and she told me quotes you may have seen me on the voice <laughs> and i'm thinking she sings too oh my gosh and then she said In the fourth row, on the left, sitting as close to Blake Shelton as I could. (laughs) Very cute. (laughs) Uh I am so excited to have our own educational consultant from Manchester, New Hampshire, who's a nationally recognized presenter, author,
1: and occasional skydiver. (laughs) Welcome to the SpeechLink, Susan. Thank you, Char. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be here. And as you shared, my son was significantly helped by a speech path that gave me the right direction to go in for him. And so I kind of hold speech paths up on a pedestal, you might say, because Uh. I, I think the work that a speech pathologist does is so incredibly important to our students.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, let's get started here. Um, like you, Susan, I've done a few seminars, okay? And frequently during my seminar, I ask the school SLPs in the seminar to raise their hand if they teach and go into the classroom. And honestly, maybe a handful actually respond with their hand up. So as an SLP, though, I have gone into the classroom and I really liked it. And it was really beneficial. Okay, so let's get started. Let's begin with the benefits of SLPs going into the classroom. What are they,
1: Susan? Well, um, there are benefits that I have seen. In the classroom, through my job as a coach and working with collaborative pairs of specialists, including speech pathologists and the teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started working with speech pathologists in the classroom, I did some research. And so, the benefits that I'm going to share are also backed up by the research by Sylvia Deal, um, who's um, a speech path, and she said, you know, a quote that stood out in my mind was she said, I believe that you don't make major input with children with complex disabilities unless it's collaborative. And I was really impressed with her work. And some of the work that she cited that was benefits, some of the things she saw, and I have seen it myself, is number one, and this is is one of my real passion points, is it reduces the stigma of the pull-out model. Mm -hmm. Um, When students are pulled out of the classroom, First graders maybe they don't mind so much, but as kids get older, they're very, um, they're often very embarrassed by it, and there's a stigma that builds up around them. So I'm a fan of where possible, and it's not always possible when with uh, interventions for speech. um, When possible, have them in the classroom so that they're not being pulled out, and they're that oh that kid there he goes again. There's something wrong with him or her um another benefit is that it can actually increase individualized instruction because well if the, the, the speech path is going into the classroom there's um less transition time so when a student you know leaves a classroom walks down the hall goes into the speech path classroom they're not only losing the instruction that's happening in the classroom which could be detrimental They're also spending time in the hallways, getting to the speech path's room, and that can take away some instruction time or even some of the instruction time the speech path has with that student because sometimes kids kind of mosey along and they don't necessarily get to where they're supposed to be right on time, um, unless the speech path is going and picking them up. Right. Um, Another benefit is that when a speech path can work in the classroom, it also helps to build stronger peer relationships for those students. Because ideally, the speech path isn't, you know, pulling all you kids with that need speech path um, services, come into the back of the corner of the room and I'll work with you all by yourselves in a circle. Um, that, I wouldn't encourage. That might as well just pull them out. However, if they can be um, worked with in the classroom amongst their peers in a small group that includes kids who don't have issues, now you're actually able to build better and stronger peer relations for the students and understanding um, probably would help also with understanding. If you've got a student who has some speech issues, like my son, you know, he had a short and a short and the short was what he wore on on the top and the the short was what he wore on the bottom. And so he spoke and kids saw that he was, you know, different. And, you know, this then would be more normalized in, in the classroom and all the students would then be able to get some benefit from the language skills that a speech path brings to the table. Um, And research shows, and some of this research is the research from Sylvia Deal, Dr. Sylvia Deal, is that academic performance actually improves. And in my experience in co-teaching and coaching um, gen ed teachers and speech paths together to work together, that was realized. They definitely saw improvement. And as a matter of fact, I'll never forget the day the gen ed teacher who um, was actually very nervous about it at first. I mean, I think both of them were, but the Jenna teacher was extremely nervous. She taught seventh and eighth grade English um, language arts. She said to me during a uh, debrief that she actually found that her students in the inclusive classroom, the students with speech path needs and learning disabilities, there was more active conversation in that classroom than there was in the honors classroom. Wow. And I found that fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I asked why. And she said, in the honors classroom, so many of those kids are so afraid to make a mistake. They're so afraid to be laughed at or, you know, their peers, you know, they're all about keeping their image. In the inclusive classroom, you've got kids who, some of them, have gone beyond caring. I mean, they just talk. (laughs) And so she found that she and and the other thing she realized was once the kids could verbalize in the inclusive classroom, she was amazed at their divergent thinking. Many of these kids who don't fit the mold, you know, of the honor student actually have some real deep insights and creative thoughts. So Mm. those are some of the clear benefits of um, speech paths working in the classroom and honestly one that. I think is amazing is that a speech path teaches language differently than a language arts teacher, mm-hmm. and that's profound for mm-hmm. the students. Mm-hmm. Um, you got more opportunities to communicate when they're in the classroom. You've got, you know, carryover of, of the language that they're using in intervention that can happen in the classroom. They've got a bigger variety of communication partners. And it's more, there's more um, resemblance to real life. I mean, it's not, kids don't speak in isolation in a little room with one adult. You know, in life, they have to be able to speak with anyone and everyone And the classroom provides that venue. Mm -hmm. Yes. Those are some of the things, I mean, I guess I kind of said a lot of them, but those are many of the things that I have seen. And the research also backs that up. Yeah. Yes. Okay.
0: There are people listening that have gone into the classroom successfully, enjoy it. And they have seen the benefits as well. There are others who have not and that are, you know, shaking in their boots. Uh, okay. Well, you know what? Probably the first question I should ask you is, um, and this is, and I don't mean this to be negative, but, you know, by and large, do teachers want us SLPs in
1: their classroom? Some might and some won't. Okay. And part of that is they don't understand the how. And ah. I, as, as someone who goes around the country working with teachers, no matter and I now don't even call them special ed teachers. Originally, it was special ed, gen ed, co-teaching. Now, I say specialists all the time because I'm seeing speech paths go in. I'm seeing OT sometimes go in, um, title teachers going in, ELL going in or ELs going in. So, I see many more um, specialists go into the classroom but what I also have noticed over the years is almost every workshop on co-teaching, almost every seminar on co-teaching, almost everything you do or research book you find on co-teaching only addresses special ed and general ed. So there's this mindset that if any other specialist goes into the classroom, well, those aren't, they, they aren't there to co-teach. They aren't there to collaborate. They're just there to pull their kids out. And even if it's to the back corner of the room, so part of it is that mindset of, oh, no, 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 your your speech path has a lot to offer in just even in, con, in um, language skill delivery. And that's the first step. And I would suggest that if a, a speech pathologist had the opportunity to um, go into the classroom, maybe the first thing that has to happen is a conversation about what, Value they bring to the table. So I, I just listed the benefits, but there's also clear value because you know, sp- specialists in speech and language pathology they attack language in a totally different way than the general teacher, and that's probably the the thing that wowed me um, when I observed a lesson that was delivered by two teachers in the classroom, one a teacher and a specialist. Um, I was, I'd never ever ever seen a language lesson delivered the way I saw it when it was delivered by a speech and language pathologist. Wow. What, what are some of those differences? What did you see? I saw that the language skill training was more technical, Mm -hmm. um, that it was, whereas, you know, a, 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 a gen ed teacher is teaching based on a curriculum. They're looking at comprehension, reading comprehension, expressive language, um, but in a different way. They're looking at not necessarily the articulation and the words and and the ability to be clear in their expression. They're looking at what the big ideas are. Right. Um, When they when a gen ed teacher delivers um, a vocabulary lesson, they're looking at the lesson from the standpoint. Kids have to know these words. Um, They're not looking at how to break it down um, Sarah Lowe, one of the, co- the speech paths that I work with in the, in the classroom, found it was really valuable to um, include visual language, and she used a lot of Linda Mood Bell strategies mm-hmm. in the co-taught classroom. I mean, they had to collaborate that. They had to kind of work, because the Jenna teacher has a curriculum to teach, and so some that does require some conversation and planning and working together. But when they were able to bring both skill sets together, the, the, the lesson was highly effective, more effective probably than almost any other language arts lesson I've ever witnessed in 30 years. And I'm not exaggerating. Wow.
0: Well, that says a lot. Yes, I would say that we do break down or look at the components of language a little differently. Mm -hmm. And we do come at it from a more oral language standpoint, Mm -hmm. um, which of course we transition into print language as well. Mm -hmm. That oral language piece is so packed with vocabulary and the syntax and the grammar and morphology. And then you have all the connections that you do with sequencing your thoughts. Right. And so on. And all the higher level language things. Um, I remember one time I went into a classroom. First time that I went in to this first grade or no, it was second grade class. And I had gone into one of the other second grade classes and, you know, I had done quite a bit in there and I left. In fact, I always leave, you know, my activity. If I have some sort of manipulatives or something, I always leave extras for that teacher to do again if she wants to, or he wants to. So at any rate, one of these other second grade teachers came in to that second grade teacher that I'd been working with. And she says, oh, what's this? And she says, oh, Char's coming into our classroom. Oh, I want her to come in and do that as well. So I did. I went in and, you know, we did a little bit of of collaborating, but not much. I just kind of did the activity that I did prior with this other second grade teacher. And I did my thing, and of course, I focused on vocabulary and lots of interaction and and modeling for the kids. You know, we kind of played a game kind of thing, and there was a little competition, and, and it was fun, and it was very verbal and interactive, but very heavy on oral language. The teacher came up to me afterwards and said, I've always assumed that my kids know the vocabulary. Right. Yeah, there's an assumption there. Right. And like, you know, throughout the activity that I was doing, every once in a while, I'd say, um, you know, how many people know this word? Here's how you pronounce it. Say it with me. And then, you know, how many people know the meaning of it or how many have used it or heard it, whatever, you know, all those levels. And wow, very few kids raised their hand. Mm -hmm. And she said, wow, that was something that she just assumed and kind of hazed over that. So mm-hmm. yes, those kinds of, I'm just going to call them details. I like that word. You yes. know, more of the specifics of language. All right. So we're on the same page in that classroom teachers, SLPs, look at language differently. Now, let's expand a little bit on that. Tell us about classroom teachers and their views. Would you say that it's more oriented to language language?
1: Arts and how it relates to print language. If they're doing the standards, they teachers have to also teach persuasion skills and you know expressive language. Okay. Yet they're looking at it from the angle of output. That's a good word, output. What? What? How does the student express their thinking? One of the things, as I'm, I'm a special education teacher by training. Um, I'm certified as an elementary, but my entire career has been working with students with disabilities, all kinds of disabilities. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've always struggled with getting across to the, the general education teachers is um, it's more than just that, the bigger language and their expression of thought. There are many students who have, you know, deep thinking and, and like I said, divergent thinking they have creative ideas or they know the material better than they can ever speak or write. and But the teacher is just looking at the output. What can the student say? Mm-hmm. That sh- demonstrate what the student knows. What can the student um, write? That demonstrate what the student knows. Whereas a speech path understands that just because a student can't um, express that language, enunciate that language, speak that language in a way that delivers to the teacher their their understanding and knowledge um, doesn't mean they don't have it in their head. I mean, they do have it in their head. And mm-hmm. what I found was that the um, the the speech paths when they're in the classroom can kind of even stop and just like you did with with asking, "Hey, who knows this word?" Um, they can stop and say can you, can, who, who can tell me what they understand here? How might you express it? And they might be able to stop the teacher during the lesson and say, okay, Hey, how about looking at it this way? Which I found intriguing and very beneficial when I was working with the speech path in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I love this. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what Sarah brought into the classroom, she's, she, um, she used visualizing and verbalizing strategies by Linda Mood Bell. And she was able to target even um, executive functioning strategies and graphic organizers and, and um, vocabulary word acting into the lesson plans that the teacher used in the eighth grade. And um, then that teacher even carried some of those into her seventh grade classroom. And the Jenna teacher did not have any of those strategies, especially Linda Mood Bell strategies in her curriculum. And she didn't even know about them. So none of those things would have happened in that classroom for those students had the speech pathologist not been there. Yeah. So do you think that this breaks it down more
0: or hits more of the learning styles or helps to solidify
1: learning for the kids? Absolutely. It absolutely does. Okay. And and it, it provides contextualized learning. I mean, the language is infused. In the classroom for the students, so they're more able to understand the entire lesson. Um, And and again, it it takes getting the gen ed teacher to realize the body of knowledge and the strategies and skills that a speech path can bring into the classroom. And that's why I think, you know, I would love to see it happening more. And I and I also realize there are some there are schedule challenges. I mean that Mm. probably. Probably if we were thinking about, you know, what's the benefit? We know there's benefits of having a speech pathologist working in the classroom. At least I do, and the research backs that up. Okay. What the challenge is often is, okay, but I've got this caseload of students that I have to deliver speech services to. And if I'm in the classroom five hours a week, those are five hours I can't bring kids for a one-on-one. And that's the part that I I found was was the biggest struggle for for the teachers in the, in the speech path was how do we work our schedule so that we're still giving our students the services they need but we're we're our caseload is more manageable um throughout the day i that probably is one of the most difficult challenges it's not even working together it's the schedule yeah oh the
0: logistics is absolutely crazy it's off the charts mm-hmm. and there you're just talking mm-hmm. about one teacher and you have what mm-hmm. 40, 50 other teachers in the school, mm-hmm. you know, and especially if right. you're looking at the elementary level and you've got kids all the way from maybe preschool, you know, through maybe fifth and sixth grade if you're an elementary SLP. Right. It is crazy. It absolutely is. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the process of initiating going into the classroom. You know, is this something that just happens informally? Would you say, you know, the SLP and the teachers are in the lounge and discussing, you know, Johnny or whatever, and somebody says, maybe it's SLP or the teacher, and says, oh, why don't you come in and we'll do a little collaboration and we'll co teach and do something. How do you put the
1: people together? That can happen, it's not likely. Um, but it can happen and it has happened at time. Okay. What do we do? What typically needs to happen, and and this is the case for any specialist that goes into the classroom is it needs to be brought to administration as an initiative that's worth doing. Um, I actually have a couple of teachers right now, they're they're not speech paths, but they they actually asked me to talk with them on the phone and the whole purpose for their call was we really love this. We really want to do it. We're having trouble selling the admin on it, mm. um, because it required scheduling and space and everything else. So, what I recommend is, if if there is, you know, a possibility that you know some of our listeners here would like to try this, is you could try it informally with with something that works out conveniently. But the ideal way would be to get the administration on board to look at the schedule and then at the beginning of a school year. You know, look at the caseload for the speech path and say, okay, who, who, where, where, are, where do we have kids that, and it may even be in the upper grades, like it's elementary, third, fourth, fifth grade, where you have many kids that are now we're looking at carryover strategies, conversation, um, you know, language development in the classroom, where we really want them using it, mm-hmm. um, focusing on oral language. So I would imagine. that that might you might have greater numbers in the upper grade levels, whereas in the the early grades, you probably are doing many more of the isolation, the strategies that need to be done in isolation. So let's say you picked fourth grade. And you said, you know, I really like this fourth grade teacher. We'd really like to try this. Then what needs to happen is when they're scheduling students over the course of the next year, for the the next school year, they need to look at the speech path caseload and say, okay, these are kids that could definitely benefit. Um, They're all fourth graders. They all are are at the point where they can use carryover strategies. Instead of scheduling them during the IEP meeting as um, students who need pullout and isolation strategies, how about we schedule their services to be done in the collaborative classroom, whether it's co-taught or collaborative classroom? It may mean that you've got a larger number together. It may mean that you have instead of one or two kids in that classroom, that fourth grade classroom, you might have six or seven kids, depending on the size of the school, in that classroom. And then the speech path goes in at the beginning of the year, understanding, and that's how that's how it was done in in the speech path that wrote the piece for my latest book um, on best practices and co-teaching. That's how it was done with her. I mean, she she had her those students already scheduled into the classroom. In the summer, she knew she was going into that situation starting day one of school year, and so she could plan accordingly that way. That really is, is, is more doable than trying to pull it out in the middle of the year or like even at this point in the year. Right. And so then you go in and you know you've got this group of students, so you design your instruction with the gen ed teacher to include those strategies. And one of the things that I I try to do when I'm helping people work together, teachers work together and specialists work together, is figure out how can we do this simply and easily without requiring a tremendous amount of planning time. And there are some ways to do that. I have two dozen very specific implementations that can happen. One of them that comes to mind that would be really easy to do, even if you just walked in, would be what I call one teach, one interpret. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like is... One teacher, the Janet teacher, is delivering some instruction and knows during that time that every two to three minutes she will turn to the speech path and say, "How would you frame that? Or what would you add to it? Or you know, is there you know how how would you approach this 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 piece? Whatever this language, or would you change? Would you use different vocabulary?" And now the speech path, usually their knowledge is so profound, and so they're so good at what they do, they could literally then reframe what the teacher just spoke with that vocabulary in mind, with the the phraseology in mind, with all those carryover strategies right then and there, wouldn't require a lot of a planning time, but it would also be more on the cuff, off the cuff. Right, That could work. On the other hand, to do some of the things that Sarah did um, in the classroom, Sarah Lowe, the, the speech path I worked with, that wrote for my book. Right. No, she was in the middle school. Yes, okay, in the middle school. She and her co-teacher planned. They did a lot of planning, not they weren't always able to plan. Things got in the way, state testing and, and, you know, other other commitments and IEP meetings, but they were able to plan quite often. And when they could plan together, then they could really that's when they were able to implement the Linda Mood Bell strategies. And she also used um, she used some other speech and speech path therapy tools that she was familiar with that she was able to bring into the classroom that were appropriate. But those required more planning. So as I look at this, it could be done off the cuff, but my guess is that there would be, it would be necessary for the speech path to be really, truly be able to plan more or with the the gen ed teacher and at least to say, okay, here's the lesson. Um, I will deliver it this way, which is based on the standards in the curriculum and the core content. And what piece could you add in the speech path? Figures that out. Here's what I would do to enhance it, to make it more technical, to work on the language piece. And the speech path then plans their part of the lesson and doesn't have to be in the same room at the same time in the same place as a gen ed teacher. So they both go off and plan their piece and then they pull it together. Um, I would see that more of that kind of collaboration would be necessary if we really, really wanted to deliver powerful strategies and, and make this effective for the students.
0: One little caveat that I would like to kind of rewind our thoughts here. There are a lot of SLPs, and I have done this myself, that go into kindergarten and first grade and really focus on building that vocabulary base and then also the phonological awareness piece. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of SLPs, I think, that go in at those young levels. And just work on that and plant those kinds of seeds. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that's something that the SLP and the teacher can do to kind of augment what the teacher is already doing, especially for those little ones that are having difficulties and they're kind of low
1: in those areas. So those are things that you can do too. I love that you say that. See, I don't have that in my experience. So I pulled the fourth grade out and up because that's been my experience. But if and and I've had speech paths tell me, oh, no, you have to do, you know, I, syllables and words and those skills in isolation. And so I'm really grateful that you bring that piece out, that it, it could be beneficial in the kindergarten, first grade language or even preschool, because um, I don't have that in my experience. So I'm really glad you do to share that out to everyone. Yeah.
0: And I'm talking about language. You know, there is the articulation piece as far as um, you know, working on the speech sounds and so on, you know, like pulling out and, and so on. But I'm talking about phonological awareness mm-hmm. as that teacher is moving into phonics mm-hmm. and beyond and really working on how that child perceives that sound and then looking at the print part of it and then put pulling it all together. Right. And then also we know that in this day and age, there's a lot of kids that are coming into kindergarten classrooms with a really low vocabulary knowledge and use. I know, yeah. I'm hearing that too. That's so critically important. Maybe they can even decode, but then their comprehension may be impaired because they don't know what the words mean. Exactly. Sometimes as SLPs and classroom teachers, we can kind of put the puzzle pieces together and
1: hopefully get an entire picture. Right. And and I'd like to jump on that. Um, one of the things that I'm reminded that the SLP, a couple of the SLPs that I've worked with have, have shared is that when they're working in the classroom, they have a better understanding of what their students need to know and how high they can set the bar. What I've heard from not just speech path specialists, but even other specialists that would typically pull out um, is that, you know, when you're working in isolation of the classroom and the content and the curriculum you might use you know the strategies that are in your toolbox however they're kind of not connected they're not connected to what's happening in the classroom and that's what the specialist in in, in particular um, speech paths have said is oh my gosh i had no idea here i'm working on this that and the other skill in my little room however now i see that i can use this information Not only in the classroom, but now when I do do pull out, I can, my pull out intervention is much more relevant and so much better for my students because I know what's going on in the classroom.
0: Amen. That relevancy piece and the transfer. And every SLP has thought about, okay, is what I'm doing in my little room here with the kids in pullout, is that actually benefiting them and transferring over to what they need in the classroom and beyond? Um, I love this. There's a paragraph out of your book, Best Practices for Co-Teaching and Collaboration in the Speech-Language Pathologist chapter. And I'd like to read that, okay? Okay. Oh, I'd love that. Go ahead. Yes, it says, after Sarah experienced co-teaching, okay, and that's the SLP, um, with Pam, I think was the classroom teacher, okay, but after Sarah experienced co-teaching, she found that her one-on-one sessions with students who needed speech intervention were more productive. Right. It was easier to focus those sessions on targeted skills she and Pam co-taught. And you know what? I am going to say who needed speech intervention and or language intervention, because there is there's a difference. Speech is more of the articulation of sounds. Language is more of the understanding and the expression piece. Mm-hmm. Okay, continuing on. It says, she could ensure that her speech interventions were more relevant to the grade-level curriculum and therefore more beneficial for the students. Prior to co-teaching, she essentially worked in a bubble. And would work on isolated skills that did not transfer as easily to what the students were doing in the classroom. See, and that's what we all long for. Yes. To work with the teachers and the teachers to work with us. Mm -hmm. Okay. We agree that co-teaching and collaboration is beneficial. Would you please break down what does co-teaching mean to you as a classroom teacher? And what does collaboration mean? mean to you. They are two different things,
1: right? They can be. They can be. Um sometimes it's semantics. Um I have actually gone into school districts that hired me to coach their co-teachers and said, "Please don't call it co-teaching, just call it collaboration because co-teaching has become a dirty word here." Oh, really? I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of conflict around co-teaching. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Collaboration could be that you collaborate, but you might still teach separately from one another. You might collaborate on the lesson plan or the curriculum, but if you're collaborating, you may do that. And then the speech path might pull some students to the back of the room. And this can be co-teaching too. Collaboration is you're working together. You could even collaborate and do pull out. you know? And so what would collaborate look like doing pullout? You, you went to the teacher and Rather than find out in the classroom what the content is that they're acquiring in the classroom and what the skills are and how high the bar is, you find that out from the teacher, you collaborate with the teacher to get that information, maybe even get some samples or handout examples and so on and so forth. And then when you go to your intervention room, you are using those materials. That could be called collaboration. Okay. Um, collaboration could be that you go in and the teacher's having trouble with a specific student and you give them specific skills that work with that student. And collaboration is wonderful. Co-teaching is, you're both teaching. You're both in the general classroom. It doesn't mean you're co-teaching at the same time. It doesn't mean that you're co-teaching, you know, both of you are up front talking and and sharing off. Like some people have this image that when I walk in, I can't tell who's who. And there's some of that there, but the image that people have is two people are just in the front of the room doing direct teaching at the same time. Mm -hmm. I would find that that's very general, and I've found that is not necessarily effective. So when I talk about co-teaching, both teachers have a specific role in the classroom that maximizes their skill set. So if I was to look at some of the implementations that I share with teachers, that here's what you can do. An example with um, a speech path like I shared could be one teach, one interpret. It could even be one teach, one summarize. So let's say a speech path comes in and says, you know, I don't know this content, so how do you expect me to deliver information for a 10-minute chunk of time, which is easier to manage um, for everybody, especially an elementary speech path that might not be able to be in the room for an hour, Mm -hmm. um, then let's say it's just a 10-minute chunk of time out of a 20 minutes or 30 minutes that the speech path is in the room, that the two teachers kind of bounce off of each other. So one is delivering the core content that's required by the curriculum and the standards and then the speech path summarizes it in a way that she or he knows benefits the students who have those language disabilities in the classroom, those speech and language disabilities in the classroom.
0: Okay, so is that where both both the teacher and the SLP are at the front? Yes. Or Is that SLP off to the side
1: with five of the kids that need that help? Both are in the front. Okay. Both are in the front. And the benefit to that is not only will the students who are, you know, identified as needing those interventions, they'll get the benefit, but there are many students in that room, especially if you're talking kindergarten, first grade, second grade, there are many students who haven't been identified yet or may never be identified, but they're still having language difficulties. But it's not um, identifiable as an SLP um, category. And so now... it didn't qualify, yeah. Yeah, so the the speak path is actually delivering value to the entire class um, with the way that they're summarizing this information. And that's a real simple way to co-teach. Now, some people might say, well... If that person, if the the specialist is just summarizing, how is that co-teaching? Well, they're both up front and center. They're both delivering content and they're both delivering value and they're both maximizing their talent in the room and their skill set in the room. That is absolutely co-teaching and it's also collaboration. So that's one, you know, one example. Um, So there's also um, another one that could work very well. Let's say the students are doing group work and kids have to communicate with each other to get something done. And now the, the you could spread out the students with that have the needs for speech and language intervention, let's say on one half of the room amongst three or four groups. And the other half of the room may not have those students there. So now you've got a speech path who can go in and during this 10 minute group activity <laughs> would be able to support those four groups that might have students with language difficulties. And now she can kind of bounce between the four, but she's doing this by also including the carryover strategies and the contextualized learning. Does this make sense? This is good.
0: There are a lot of SLPs that want to go into the classroom. One, how do we do it? How do we get in there and actually, you know, interact with that teacher and to be seen as a supplement that is going to be helpful for the teacher and for those kids? Right. So, no, this is really good. And I know that there are challenges there are a lot of challenges. Let's talk about the logistics. How do we overcome or deal with some of
1: those? Like, let's just start with planning time. Well, one of the things that I am encouraging teachers to do today in in this day and age with with such heavy internet capabilities Mm -hmm. is to plan in the cloud. Mm -hmm. So back in the early days of co-teaching, when Dr. Marilyn Friend was sharing how to co-teach, you know, all over the country. Um, at that time, we're talking late 80s, early 90s, there was no internet. For, 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 there was, but it, it wasn't in schools. And most people didn't have it in their homes. And so her mantra at the time was districts must, pr- must provide common planning time, preferably every day, but at least once a week. Um, If they don't, it'll fail. What I have discovered, especially in the last 10 years, is even when teachers have that provided to them, they don't use it or they rarely use it. What teachers and specialists are telling me is they may chat for five or 10 minutes of that meeting. They decide what plan of action, their course of action they're going to use in the classroom for delivering whatever content is coming up. And they plan in the cloud. So they might put their PowerPoint in Google and Google um, sheet not Google Sheets, Google uh, Slides, and they'll they'll work on them together and at different times even. They don't even have to be there at the same time. One will start it. The other one will go in and finish it or add to it. Um, that's how some teachers are adding, some specialists are adding their interventions is the Jenna teacher will put their uh, their. PowerPoint that they're going to use in their instruction up in the cloud. And the specialist goes in and, and, and adds the interventions and the extra activities and the Linda Mood Bell strategies and, and the I know the articulation section for five minutes or whatever it is. And, and so then they might talk about it for a few minutes or chat or call on the phone. So the planning piece today, I have found to be much more flexible and much easier. It's always the big, oh, we need planning time. However, in reality, people are doing it on their own time at their own convenience and mostly in the cloud. And then they're having short conversations.
0: Okay. Here's the next one. How long is the SLP in there? Is it, you know, like, is it typically 10 minutes? Is it a half hour? Is it maybe 45? I mean, what's the typical amount of time? Yeah. Elementary
1: level, I have seen Specialists spread and I'm gonna say specialist because it's everyone. Yes. Spread so thin that sometimes they're in it for as little as fifteen minutes. And when I hear that, I discourage it. Okay. Because by the time the specialist goes in the room, gets the attention of the gen ed teacher. And sometimes gen ed teachers, you know, elementary teachers, because there's no bells, it's very different at middle school, they may want to finish their last couple minutes of what they're doing. So that specialist comes in sits in the back of the room and their hands are tied, they can't do anything until this the gen ed teacher decides to transition into something else. Mm -hmm. And so you've only got fifteen minutes, you're lucky to get seven to ten minutes of actual intervention time with the student. So my recommendation is minimum twenty, and that's only under duress. I think a half an hour to forty minutes is the the minimum and if you could do it for a whole you know Fifty minutes that's fabulous okay, um however, it can be done figure twenty minutes so they might lose five minutes on each end for transition at least you're then getting a solid ten in intervention. still not quite enough, but depending on how efficient the people are and how how respectful what what I coach the gen ed teacher to do is the minute you see that person walk in you you wrap up you know, and now you take advantage of that other person's skill set that speech path skill set or the the ELL teachers skill set that's not a time to finish your lesson finish it when they leave and that's how I coach them because you know the specialist time is incredibly valuable and often in elementary they're going between rooms now at the secondary level the classes are full periods and so whether it's a if it's an 80 minute block I would say you don't need the whole 80 minutes but you know you could easily do the full period that's where it is even more critical though to get more than one or two of your caseload in that room. So you're you're getting everybody covered with their their goals because otherwise it's impossible for the schedule.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. That brings up something that I did at the elementary level. I had quite a few on my caseload. I had like almost a hundred and I wanted to go into the classroom. And a couple of teachers said, yes, we want you in. So I wanted to take advantage of that. So I asked if, some of the other kids in the other classrooms could come in at that time that I'm in that quote second grade class working because they're all working on the mm-hmm. same thing. Now I wanted it to be kids that were in the same at the same grade level. Okay. And they came in and did that. And but I don't know if that's legitimate for everybody or if that's done is that a strategy? Yes, it is. It is. Okay.
1: Yes, I've seen that strategy used especially in schools that are very small with large Mm caseloads and minimal staff. Mm -hmm. So that is absolutely, it's not really used on the secondary level, or I haven't seen it very often used at the secondary level, but elementary is a whole different animal. And there is rarely enough specialist staff to have the kids spread out all over the place. But then if you haven't stacked a classroom ahead of time, and some people are against that, I, i you know, that's my preference. I would rather have a third of the classroom it needs so that I can really work with them for a longer period of time altogether than have them spread out all over the place where I'm running around trying to give five or 10 minutes to each kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rather have them stacked in a room, but not every administrator or even teacher staff um, agrees with that. Yes. And so if, if, but absolutely I've seen it where, okay, we've got four kids that are in this third grade classroom. They all need services, but I've got one in Ms. Smith's class down the hall and another one in Mr. Johnson's class down the hall. We'll pull them into this class for that period of time. That is absolutely a strategy that is used. And as long as you're meeting the IEP goals, there's no problem with it.
0: Good. Now, our time is uh, limited, but here is the $64,000 question, Susan. Oh, boy. How, <laughs> yeah, how do we document that this is working? Do we take data? Do we just rely on test results? Do we just write down what we see in our impressions?
1: How do we document this? Actually, all of the above. And I, one of the st- the implementations I didn't mention, I, I thought of it, but I thought, well, I'm not sure how this would really maximize a speech path skill set. Is one teach, one collect data? Mm-hmm. So, for instance, um, this might even work better if if you were doing. You've, you've taught for 10 minutes. Let's say the gen ed teacher has taught for 10 minutes, and then the students are doing um, practice activities in small groups or triads. Now, the speech path and the gen ed teacher would be going around and maybe speaking to students, asking them targeted questions, essential questions, and then documenting the growth or documenting how the students are doing. So, documentation could be done that way. I guess it's called evidence based. I used to call it action research. Mm-hmm. However, what I, the most Valuable to me is to have the classroom, and if it's September, this might be tricky. You'd have to get the previous year's data, but individual student growth, but also class student growth. So if you're co teaching in the classroom, and let's say you're doing that for a full year or even half a year at the secondary level, what gains did students make? Did they make gains? Um, You might, as a speech path, pull them out and do a pre and a post evaluation on their goals. Are they making gains as with what you're doing in that classroom? I like to see our other students also benefiting from the speech path being in the classroom. And then so you'd use all of it. You'd use state testing. The thing about state testing is I've seen a lot of administrators say, well, we have speech paths or specialists going into the classroom and our special education numbers, for example, aren't going up. Well, it's ineffective to do it on the whole. You've got to look at individual teacher specialist pairs. Uh How are they doing in that specific classroom? Because you could have five classrooms with speech path going in and some teachers who are very resistant and those classrooms will not do well. But then you'll have another two pairs that they're both working amazingly well together and their students are making huge gains. So mm-hmm. pretty much, yes, you have to collect data is the short answer. You have to collect data to show growth. Good point. And the data collection, are you thinking
0: maybe every so many weeks? Because, I mean, are you going to do it every time? You know, what's
1: the typical timeline there? I don't think there is one. Okay. Um, frequency is is good, but we don't want to be ridiculous. If you're in right. there collecting data all the time, then you're not using your skill set to teach. Oh, totally. You're Right. You know, so I would say use your professional judgment. I mean, yeah, just use your professional judgment and use a combination of measures. So some might be the this state, this, the classroom teacher may test. Some of it might be your own intervention reevals that you might do. I mean, you do your, your I'm sure you do many of your own um, re or assessments on a periodic basis. So you use those. Maybe you even do some of those in isolation. So you have a pre and a post. Um, but you also might use the classroom data. And then, of course, state tests could be effective, too. It's a combination. It's, It's authentic measurement, you know, authentic assessment.
0: This has been totally fun and totally interesting and so very helpful. You are just an amazingly knowledgeable and fun to listen to person. Thank you so much, Susan. Now, let's talk about you and how we can access your information and access you. And you have a little something for us,
1: don't you? I do. Um, I decided to excerpt the chapter or the section in my book that's specific to speech and language pathology, mm-hmm. and Sarah Lowe's contribution to the book. And I created a download for that, and you can receive that download at downloads. Make sure there's an S on the end. Downloads mm-hmm. dot dot com. Will my name be spelled out on the description for this podcast, Char? Yes. But it is you can spell it if you want. Um, so it's Susan S U S A N and Fitzell. Some people hear Patel. It's Fitzell. So it's F is in Foxtrot, I is in India, T is in Tango, Z is in Zulu, E is in Echo, L is in Lima, L is in Lima. F I T Z E L L. So it's downloads dot my name Susan Fitzell dot com, and I'm all over the web. You just Google my name and you'll find a bunch out there. <laughs> <laughs> what I have, but that you are, yeah, I am. I'm all over the web. So that page, though, has free downloads, and not just the one I pulled out for, um, for you and your and your uh, and this audience, but also everything else I do. So if you wanted to get other things, other handouts for conferences and things that I do that are free, they're all there. Also, I also have an extensive blog. So, yeah, I do all kinds of things online. Oh, you do. And what if we want to email you and pick your brain? You absolutely can do that at SFitzell, my first initial last name, at SusanFitzell.com. And the other thing I'll do for you, if you'd like my book, um, Best Practices in Co-Teaching, if you'd like the whole book, I will give you a discount code. And the discount code is B, as in boy, B-E-R-20. Ah, And that should give you 20% off, B-E-R-20. Love it. And then you use that in my store, not Amazon. Go to my website. Go to my shop and pick out the book and just put that in. That'll work on any of the books, actually.
0: Okay. And that's at SusanFitzell.com.
1: Right. Pick. Um, I'm an educator because there's also things there for business. I'm an educator. And then at the top bar, go to shop. But the download thing, you can just type in your address bar. Downloads.SusanFitzell.com. And I'm absolutely available to you if you want to email me or call me um, to talk about talk further about this content.
0: Yes, I know you are. You are amazing. I'm a fan of you. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Bye. Mm -hmm. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the speech link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charboshart.com and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, Thank you so much for all that you do with your speech, kids. Be well, and God bless.